This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power yeah. and love. Even One of my sweet Jesus. mom's favorite songs. She used to look at me and say, trust and obey. <laughs> that sums up so much of the Christian life, right? Trust and obey. You do those two things, you'll hit the mark. So, we are in a series called Upper Room. If you're, if you're new here, I know it's been kind of hit and miss. A lot of you have been sick, had some weather issues and everything too. Um, but we started at the beginning of the year this, this new series on John 13 through 17. It's what scholars call the Upper Room Discourse, where Jesus gathers with his disciples the night before the cross, and what we see there is just some of the most beautiful, richest teaching of our Lord. And so we have walked through chapter uh, 13, and so we are going to begin chapter 14 today, and we're going to look at the first part of that, look at verses 1 through 14 of John 14. So if you will take your copy of God's Word and follow along as I read. We're talking today about Jesus' words for troubled hearts. Words for troubled hearts. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, and my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you were going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, I tell you, The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for these words of Jesus. Our hearts are sometimes troubled, filled with turmoil, care, sadness, grief, uncertainty, not knowing which way to go. And you speak into our troubled hearts with the words that we need. And so we pray that you would take your word now and that you would speak through it by the power of your spirit. 
wherever we are in, in our lives right now, whatever needs are represented in this room or in rooms beyond this room for people who are watching, would you speak to our hearts now, we pray, for your glory's sake. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. You know, in almost 30 years as a pastor, in observing people, observing our culture, there has never been a time in three decades when I have seen people as troubled as they are today in our world. And I mean, when you're out and about, I mean, when you're, when you're on your job or going about town or wherever you are, can't you just see this on the faces of people today? Burdened, carrying all kinds of, 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 of weight around, just anxious care. You can see it written all over them. And, and sometimes that takes the form of just sadness or weariness or resignation. Sometimes it comes out as anger. I mean, but people in our world are troubled. Jesus speaks words to our troubled hearts in this text. What words do we see here? First of all, in verse one, Jesus says, trust me. Trust me. Let's look at verse one together. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Why does he say that? Because their hearts are troubled. Because what are the things that Jesus just said in chapter 13 that we saw? These guys have just heard that, that one of their own closest friends, someone that they had basically lived with for the past three years, was going to betray Jesus. And in fact, Judas has already gotten up and left the room. Jesus has just told them that some kind of a separation it was coming from, from him. He says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He's just told Peter that, 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 that Peter was going to deny him that very night. And so the, the atmosphere in the room at this point is like this, this toxic stew of, of, of turmoil and trouble. Their hearts are deeply troubled. And it is at this moment that Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. But he doesn't just say, don't let your hearts be troubled. He, he gives us the antidote to the troubled heart. And that's a trusting heart. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Trust Trust in God. Trust also in me. Trust here. Believe is not just sort of like believing intellectually stuff about Jesus. It's, it's trusting in Jesus. 
It's giving your life to him, placing your life in his hands, relying completely on him. Trust in God. Trust also in, in me because it's, it's the trust, trust that is the antidote to the troubled heart. And it's when we lean upon the Lord and we trust him that our trouble is replaced with joy and peace. Paul says in Romans 15, in verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And listen, think about it. Your greatest need in life has already been taken care of. That's forgiveness, rescue from your sin, salvation. As we just sung about earlier, and not I, but Christ. It's been taken care of. You're, you're forgiven. You've been adopted by God as his own beloved son or daughter. You're, you're living in that grace. So the biggest issue has already been covered. Well, if God has already done that and taken care of your biggest need, do, do you not think that he's going to take care of every other need that you have? Yes, he will. Romans 8.32 says he did not even spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Let's look at verse one again. Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, this begins to get into issues surrounding the, the Trinity. Now, these guys in the room uh, have been raised um, to to, to, be, to be monotheist, right? To believe in one, the one true God as opposed to the, the most of the world at that point, really the rest of the world, they were pagans, polytheists. They believed in many gods. But as Jews, they had been raised to be monotheists, to believe in the one true and living God. But at this point, they're just beginning to learn what it means to be Trinitarian monotheist. And Jesus is saying here, you, you've been raised to, to trust in God. I want you to trust also in me. So Jesus here is putting himself on the level with God as the proper object of faith. How can he do that? Because he is God. G.A. Carson says this, a man who is only a man is not deserving of such trust and must in time disappoint it. A man who is also God not only deserves such trust but cannot possibly betray it. Jesus says, believe in God, believe also in me. And so Jesus is God and yet distinct from the Father. Now, we see this in the very first verse of the Gospel of John, where it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so Jesus is both with God and was God. How can that be? It's because God is trying. 
Our own confession of faith as Southern Baptists and the Baptist faith and message says this, the eternal triune God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes but without division of nature, essence, or being. You notice when, when Wilson baptized Ryan earlier and when every time we baptize here, we baptize with the formula that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28, when he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Wilson said to Ryan, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He did not say, I baptize you in the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in the name, the name, one God, three persons. And there's complexity in the Trinity, but it's so important that we, that we understand it because it's right at the heart of our faith, which is why things like the Nicene Creed are so important because they serve as guardrails to keep us on track with healthy biblical orthodoxy, the Trinity. Jesus says, trust me. There's a second word here to us, and it's this. Here's why you can trust me. He not only says, trust me, he says, here's, here's why you can trust me. We see that in verses two and three. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. So a big issue that Jesus is having to deal with as he ministers to their troubled hearts is that they're troubled about the impending separation from him physically. Because what has Jesus just said to them? Turn back to chapter 13. Uh, let's look there in verse 33. Jesus has said, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I am going, you cannot come. Again, in verse 36, Lord Simon Peter said to him, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. So a change is coming. We don't deal well with change. Then or now. This was a big change. Jesus was going to, to die on the cross the next day, and, and things were going to be different. And he's talked about this, this, this separation that is coming. Now, that separation is answered basically in three ways. First of all, there's going to be a resurrection. And so Jesus is going to be raised, and so Jesus is going to be with them again physically after the resurrection, but only for a period of time. It's going to ascend. But then what happens? The day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit is poured out. So that's the second part of the answer here. No, Jesus is not going to be physically present with them, but his spirit is, is going to be poured out. But then there's a third thing. Jesus is coming again. <laughs> to take us to himself, which is what he's talking about here in verses two and three. In my Father's house 
or many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is saying here that your ultimate future is not in this fallen, sinful, broken world. That's not home, which is why we can never be quite satisfied here and now. Because we're not home yet. C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You were made for another world, which is why we never feel totally at home in this one. You're not home yet, but you're going to be. <laughs> you're going to be. I love how the writer of Hebrews puts this in Hebrews 11 and verses 13 and following when he talks about the saints that have gone before us. He says, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see how this goes with John 14, 2 and 3? He's prepared a city for them. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, if the image in your mind of Jesus preparing that place is Jesus up there, you know, with a hammer and nails, you know, kind of getting your mansion ready or whatever, not the image we should think about. <laughs> because the preparation that he's talking about is something different, but it does involve a hammer and nails. That place has been prepared because a hammer nailed Jesus to the cross. That's the preparation. It's been prepared because of the work of Christ and dying for sinners and rising from the dead. That's the preparation. And he's made, it, he's made our home ready which is why we never quite feel at home here, because even the best things in this life are only just like fleeting shadows of what's to come. The Bible says, no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor has our heart imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Jonathan Edwards put it so beautifully. The enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows. But God is the substance. These are but scattered beams. But God is the sun. These are but streams. God is the ocean. Amen.
There's a third word here that Jesus speaks to us, and it's about the path to heaven. The path to heaven. Look at verse 4. Jesus says, you know the way to where I am going. Now, what Jesus is doing here is he's drawing them out. He's so brilliant at this. You read the Gospels, Jesus is so brilliant at just kind of saying things that just sort of draw, draw, draws people out. He knows it's going to bring forth a response. <laughs> and Thomas here does not disappoint. <laughs> Thomas says in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, Thomas's bewildered question is what's on all of their minds. And now what Jesus is going to do is he's just going to totally shift their paradigm. And he's going to explain that the path is not like something you can find on a map. <laughs> the path is a person. The path is Jesus himself. Verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We had some IMB trustee meetings in Richmond this week, and we were in a hotel, and our, some of our meetings were, were there in this hotel. It's one of these hotels with like a lot of different meeting rooms and lots of hallways, just like a labyrinth. And I was rushing to make a meeting. <laughs> And I stopped at the desk to ask, I said, do you know, do you know where so and such, such and such room is? And the young woman who was working at the desk, I don't know if she saw that I was, she saw concern on my face or, or not, because I was trying to make this meeting on time. But instead of telling me, you know, hey, walk down the hallway, make a right, go through the double doors, make a left, make another left, and then make a right, she looked at me and she just said, come with me. <laughs> and she took me there. She took me all the way there, right to the door. She was my way. Jesus says, I'm the way. You just attach yourself to me. That's it. It's as simple as that. You, you attach yourself to, to me by faith. And I'll take care of the rest. I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So many paradoxes here. The one who is the way would carry the cross down the Via Dolorosa, the way of suffering. And he becomes our way because he took that way. The one who was condemned by lying witnesses is truth incarnate. The one who is the resurrection and the life lays down his life that we might have life. Notice the definite article here. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he underscores it. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4 and verse 12 says there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. 
only through Jesus. There used to be, back in the, the late 60s or early 70s, during the Jesus movement, young people were coming to Christ in a, a great revival, but they would raise their index finger high. We see that today. We see it in sports. Usually I'm number one. <laughs> but back during the Jesus movement, it meant one way. One way. There's only one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And people say, how dare you say that? Um, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. <laughs> Jesus says that. And see, here's the deal. Everybody's invited to this party. Everybody's invited. But there's only one way. There's only one door. That's because there's only one Savior. You try to find somebody else who lived the perfect sinless life that we could never live and then atone for sins upon the cross and then rose from the dead. Find another Savior like that. Well, good luck with that. There's only one, one way. He's the path to heaven. Fourth, Jesus talks about power from heaven. The power from heaven. Look at verse 12. He says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Greater works than Jesus? What is that about? Well, clearly, he's not talking about more spectacular miracles. I mean, Jesus turned water into wine, walked on water, <laughs> fed thousands with five loaves and two fish, and raised multiple people from the dead. <laughs> so when he talks about us doing greater works, it's not talking about more spectacular miracles in that sense. I think he's talking about greater works in the sense of the expansion of the gospel. Because during the earthly ministry of Christ, the, the reach of the gospel was really confined to a relatively small group of people in Israel. But after his ascension, when the Holy Spirit is poured out at Pentecost and 3,000 people are saved in one day and they're all from different places and they go out and they begin gossiping the gospel throughout the world, it's just gone on from there. And, and you're a part of it. You are a part of those greater works as the kingdom of God expands, as the gospel advances throughout the earth, through your giving, through your praying, through your going, through your enabling others to be sent and sustained on the mission field. You are a part of those greater works that Jesus is talking about. And those greater works are turbocharged with prayer. Verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Wow. 
New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce says this about verses 13 and 14. The father denies nothing to the son, and a request made in the son's name is treated as, as if the son made it. Wow. Now, lest we go home and get on our knees and pray in Jesus' name to win the lottery, <laughs> or pray in Jesus' name for some new toy, There is a specificity here that we see in verses 13 and 14, and that is that the things that, that this promise applies to are the things that bring glory to God. To pray in Jesus' name is not like some magical formula that we attach Jesus' name to. No, to pray in the name of Jesus means that we are praying things that Jesus would sign his name to. But I don't, I don't want us to go soft on the audacity of what we see here in verses 13 and 14. Because I suspect that most of you are like me, and that is our, temp, our the temptation is to, is to not pray boldly enough. We should not go soft on the boldness the largeness of, 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 what, of what this is saying about prayer. I love a story that Tony Evans tells. <laughs> Tony Evans talks about being at a, at a crusade in Columbia, South Carolina. And they were meeting at the football stadium for the University of South Carolina and so thousands of people had, had, had gathered for this meeting. But the weather reports indicated that a serious storm was to hit at about the exact same time that the meeting was to begin. And so you got all these thousands of people that are, that are coming in and filling the stadium at the same time that all these people are converging into the bowl of the stadium. The, the thunderclouds, the dark clouds are converging over the place. And so the threat of cancellation was just looming as a very valid possibility. Well, a group of people got together to, to pray a bunch of the preachers got together and they were circling around and, and praying. But then there, there were a few volunteers as well that were, that were in that circle of, of prayer. <laughs> and Tony says, you know, me and the other preachers, we, kind of, we prayed kind of safe prayers. <laughs> but then there was Linda. <laughs> Linda was one of the volunteers <laughs> for the crusade. And when it came turn, turn for Linda to pray, Linda, Linda prayed like this, Lord, thousands have gathered to hear the good news about your son. It would be a shame on your name for us to have all these unbelievers to go without the gospel when you control the weather and you don't stop it. In the name of Jesus Christ, address the storm. <laughs> Tony said, so into the prayer meeting. <laughs> And then Tony said this. He said, me and my wife watched as the rain clouds came up to the stadium and then split in two. The storm 
reigned on both sides of the stadium and came back together on the other side. And all those gathered stayed dry. And Tony Evans says this, how did Linda get what the preachers didn't? She had the boldness, the shameless audacity to ask. Let's pray. Let's take a few moments and just talk to the Lord and reflect before Him. What have we seen in this text? Jesus has prepared a place for us. But you know what? Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. Are you prepared for heaven? Do you know Jesus personally? Have you turned to him in repentance and faith and given your life to him? Believers, we see something here about prayer. I don't know about you, but I'm always learning more about prayer. I want to go deeper into prayer. And part of that is, is learning to pray boldly because Jesus tells us to. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, once said this, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such none could ever ask too much. Maybe the Spirit of God is saying to you, I want to take you deeper into your prayer life this year, into a praying life. And part of that is learning to, to pray with that kind of boldness and audacity that Linda had. And then think about this, Christians. We are going to walk out of these doors in just a few moments into a very, very troubled world. Our journey this week, wherever we are, work, school, neighbors, circles of people that we're around, is going to take us into proximity to people who are deeply, deeply troubled. You know what one of the most amazing thing is, things is about this text? We didn't talk about it in the message, but it's the fact that Jesus is getting ready to face the cross the very next day, and yet who is he concerned about? He's concerned about them. He's the one facing the cross, but he's concerned about his guys. He's concerned about their troubled hearts and helping them. And so, often the way that we can deal with our own hearts when they're troubled 
is to take our attention away from ourselves. To look away from ourselves, to look up to God in faith, trust him, but also to look out to our neighbors in love. And seek to be used of the Lord as ministers of grace and mercy, conduits of his love to the people around us. And as we learn to give ourselves away like that, we find the Holy Spirit ministering to our own troubled heart. Who's God going to put before you this week that needs that word of gospel, encouragement, and love? You let him use you. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing and this is a time, really, when we, we respond to kind of what we've, what we've heard. And you can do that right where you are. Sometimes it helps to maybe physically mark a moment like that. You may feel led to come and pray at the altar. It's open for you to do that. Maybe you want to come, come pray with a brother or sister, pray with one of the pastors. We welcome you to do that. He's an amazing God. Let's stand and sing right now how great thou art. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to me, how great thou art, how great thou and sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think that God his Son not sparing sent him to die, I scarce can take it in That on the cross My burdens gladly bearing He bled and died To take away my sin Then sings my soul My Savior God how great thou art, how great thou art, and sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art, when Christ shall come. 
with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou art then sings my soul my Savior God to thee how great thou art oh how great thou Awesome. Okay, just a couple of brief announcements before you get away um, today. First of all, we want to welcome uh, Jonah and Lila Kramer, who were baptized last week. And so we rejoice with Jonah um, and, and Lila. Um, Wednesday night, uh, we have got uh, new classes starting up this Wednesday night. Six o'clock, uh, there's going to be a class on on prayer, uh, kind of based on Tim Keller's book on prayer, experiencing all in intimacy with God, great women's study, encountering God, which is sort of going to be talking about just different spiritual practices um, to, to draw us close to the Lord. Um, and so want to invite you guys midweek, <laughs> midweek kind of putting, putting some fuel in the tank. Um, and so we've got our kids ministry going on, students at the same time, 6 to 7.30. So parents invite you to, to, to come. Your, if your child's involved in one of those ministries, come and be a part of one of those studies. Uh, whoever you are, wherever you are in life, uh, would love to have you um, in one of those groups uh, starting this Wednesday night, six o'clock. Just show up. We'll take it from, take it from there. Um, next Sunday morning, special, special Sunday. So it's going to be the day before Valentine's Day. And so, I was thinking, you know, the day before Valentine's Day, let's think about love, and let's think about the theme of of of, of Christ's love, love and marriage. Um, and so I've invited one of our own, my dear friend Lindsay Poteet, to bring a special message next Sunday morning. And so I'm going to get to sit here along with you and kind of be fed next Sunday morning. Because I asked Lindsay to do this because he's got a special story of love with he and his bride, Barbara. And so Lindsay's going to be, be sharing kind of out of the overflow of that from God's Word, kind of integrating their story into that. And his, their story has been such an incredible encouragement to me personally, and I just knew it would be a blessing to our church. And so I've invited Lindsay to bring that message next Sunday morning. It's going to be great. Be here, bring some friends next Sunday. 
Um, okay, right now, Discovery and FBC, uh, if you are here, just want to uh, take part in our luncheon. Uh, we'll be right up here at the front. We'll tell you exactly where to go, uh, but you are invited to come. If you're thinking about membership in our church. We're going forth right now into a world that needs Christ. You. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 